This is Ed Linenthal, executive editor of the Journal of American History. During the sesquicentennial years of the Civil War, the Organization of American Historians is committed to bringing the best current thinking on this complex era to a wide audience. We aim to explore the war from its beginnings through its aftermath. As part of this goal, the OEH is pleased to offer a series of podcast conversations with distinguished historians. During 2012, we are focusing on mobilizing for war and also thinking about the Civil War in American memory. Today, we are speaking with Alan Gelzo, the Henry R. Luce Professor of the Civil War Era and Director of the Civil War Era Studies Program at Gettysburg College. Alan, welcome to the program, and thank you for doing this with us. Oh, it's good to talk again, Ed. Always good to talk. Alan, you've written several op-eds and blog posts on the Civil War sesquicentennial, and the mood of them all seems to be apprehension. Do you think the sesquicentennial is liable to be an improvement on the Civil War centennial, or are we going to regret having brought the subject of a Civil War anniversary up at all? Well, right now, I would say that I'm somewhat betwixt and between, because there are two very peculiar contrasts with the Civil War centennial of the 1960s, uh, as opposed to what we're seeing now developing as the sesquicentennial of the Civil War today. Uh, One of the things that, that strikes me as a major difference between the two events is the public disengagement. Uh, In the 1960s, most of the Civil War events, and I'm actually drawing a lot on my own personal memory of this, uh, were linked to publicly sponsored events and initiatives, starting with the National Centennial Civil War Commission. Today, it seems to be almost entirely different for the sesquicentennial. And public agencies and public forums seem to be extraordinarily reluctant compared to the 1960s, to pick up the subject of the sesquicentennial. I I think there's some reasons for this, Uh, one of them certainly being the fact that the Civil War sesquicentennial has had the extremely bad taste to occur in the middle of a major economic downturn. Uh, Public agencies are strapped for cash just to keep going without uh, spending a lot of money on, on public celebrations of various sorts. And the sesquicentennial is something that a lot of people probably feel that public budgets could do without. But another factor that works into this is a sense of racial accusation and racial typecasting. What exactly was the Confederacy about? On the one hand, you have at one extreme of polarization, the Confederacy was not about slavery at all. At the other end, it was about nothing but race and slavery. And rather than get caught in a crossfire, public agencies simply back out of it and say, let's not take the risk. It's not worth uh, finding oneself at the center of some kind of firestorm. And we've already seen examples of that kind of firestorm with missteps uh, like the governor of Virginia uh, with his Confederate History Month making no allusion at all to slavery. And the eruptions that occurred after that are exactly what you would think of as being a politician's nightmare. So for the likelihood that exists of being caught uh, in some kind of embarrassing uh, racial faux pas, people are just concluding that it's not worth it. I think another thing which enters into the public disengagement is, is quite frankly, the poor level of history teaching 
at almost all levels. And a lot of the initiatives and a lot of the money that have gone into building and rebuilding educational infrastructure have really gone to science and math and a variety of other hot button uh, areas of study. History, uh, history has been the poor relation this way. And teaching in American history, uh, the, the resources for it have shrunk, the personnel available for it have shrunk, and that means that when we get up to a major historical anniversary, like the sesquicentennial, there's really a dearth of people and understanding who can speak to this very broadly. And maybe linked to that is the sense I have that a great deal of Civil War history has in fact been captured and locked away in the ivory tower of, of higher education. It's become an academic specialty in college and university history more than a broadly based subject that people talk about generally. I, I notice this in particular because every year I do a compilation of new books published on the Civil War era and we put it on our website here at Civil War Era Studies. And what is really striking as a difference between the sesquicentennial and the centennial is that the bulk of Civil War literature 90% of it comes from academic presses. Whereas during the 1960s, all the major titles that you can think of were being published by trade presses and being written by non-academics. The name which comes most readily to mind is, is that of Bruce Catton. So there's a big shift that way, which has tended to take the study of the Civil War for the sesquicentennial and move it into a locked box marked academe, which people do not always feel terribly comfortable about trying to open up and take a look inside. So for all those reasons, public disengagement, it seems to me, is one of the, the more puzzling features of the sesquicentennial. Now, contrast that with the level of private engagement. Private engagement has tended to step into the batter's box where public engagement has, has not. There are large-scale battle reenactments. You know, anyone who was thinking that maybe the reenactment enthusiasm was beginning to wane uh, needed to see the, uh, the videos of the Manassas reenactment uh, this past summer. Uh, tremendous turnout for it, tremendous enthusiasm. Civil War reenactments, Civil War balls, Civil War events of various sorts, and especially local events. Here in South Central Pennsylvania, we had kickoffs for the sesquicentennial in a series of small towns hosting comparatively small-scale events, but big events when you put it in the context of the local municipality, all of them around the Civil War sesquicentennial. There continues to be an extremely healthy string of Civil War roundtables uh, just within um, the, this area code here in South Central Pennsylvania and its adjacent area codes, we have about a dozen Civil War roundtables, none of them run by professional historians, all of them by amateurs with very demanding monthly speaker schedules. And it's extraordinary to see the, the, the degree of life manifested uh, in these Civil War roundtables and the very specialized interest that emerges from the topics uh, that the speakers are addressing. And maybe I guess the last thing about private engagement that I think is interesting is the continued popularity of Civil War history magazines. 
the flagship uh, among popular magazines is Civil War Times. It's been going at it since 1962 and shows no sign of flagging today. There are two other major popular Civil War publications, and they've just been joined by another one this year, uh, the Civil War Monitor. So in terms of popular uh, private engagement with the Civil War, uh, there really is quite a lot of it, and it does look a lot like the 1960s that way. It's the public engagement, which has disappeared, and that, it seems to me, is, is the most dramatic difference between the sesquicentennial and the centennial. Alan, is that lack of public engagement something you lament, or do you think it's simply part of the way this thing has evolved and the realm of the private has taken over and that's that? Well, I think the public engagement has been a deliberate decision. I don't always think that it's been the wisest one. On the national level, there is no national commission for the sesquicentennial, as there had been for the centennial. And part of that is linked to some of the issues that I, that I mentioned. There's the lack of funding. There's the, the diciness about uh, putting one's foot into a, a political bucket. And, and taken together, that has given rise to the sense that the public sector has said, let's just back off. We're not going to make a commitment that way. Uh, there are a handful of exceptions. Uh, the, uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, for one, has probably done the most of any of the state governments towards uh, promoting Civil War awareness, hosting Civil War events, serious inquiry into the Civil War. But there are many other states, and we're talking here states whose histories do go back to the Civil War. I mean, we're not talking Alaska or Hawaii. Uh, we're, we're talking Georgia. We're talking Mississippi. We're talking Alabama. And these are states that have done nothing much more than give token acknowledgement that there is a sesquicentennial. Um, is that good or bad? I think it's bad, certainly, on one level, uh, because it means that on the public, um, in the public sphere, we're cutting ourselves off from history. We are refusing to acknowledge how much the history of the Civil War era impinges on our present-day events. On the other hand, you could say maybe it's actually a good thing because when there were high levels of public engagement during the centennial, there were also high levels of public embarrassment. The Civil War Centennial Commission from the 1960s seemed to have a perfect knack for wandering from one embarrassing pillar to one embarrassing post. And maybe the most embarrassing moment of all was uh, for the centennial of the Emancipation Proclamation, which was held at the Lincoln Memorial, which the President of the United States declined to attend because he was fearful of alienating uh, Southern Democratic uh, political constituencies. So you could say, in the light of those things, maybe it's a good idea that the politicians are busy doing something else. But on the whole, I do think it is a loss. I think it's a loss whenever, in public terms, we fail to acknowledge our past, fail to come to grips with it, and it becomes an excuse then for forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is a wicked demon. Indeed, indeed. Where, Alan, on your scale of public engagement, lack of public engagement and the enrichment of private, would you put what I suspect is true even with difficult economic times around the country, increased visitation to Civil War battlefield, particularly the the flagship National Park Service sites. I mean, you're there in Gettysburg, so no doubt you can 
track this uh, some. I mean, on one level, this is certainly private, be it individual, family. On the other hand, it is thousands of people coming together uh, for programs, for tours. Uh, where where do you see that as being significant or just kind of everyday-ish uh, in regard to the sesquicentennial? We may be too early to tell at this point. We are, after all, only a few months into the sesquicentennial. And the numbers are still being tabulated for the past eight months to give us some sense of where we might be going with this. In Gettysburg, you always see a a very large tourism segment here. There's always a big stream of people. The parking lot at the visitor center uh, is always crowded. And I always make sure to complain. I can never find a parking space there. Uh, But on the whole, are we really looking at a major uptick? I think the, the data is still wanting. My suspicion is we may be looking at something of a disappointment. Let me give you an example. Here in, in Gettysburg, every November we do Remembrance Day for the anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. And there's a big parade with thousands of reenactors that participate. This year, we had a, a disappointingly low number of reenactors turning out for the parade. But we had what were certainly record numbers of spectators for it. And I haven't quite got my hands around why that has happened. Actually, the numbers of participants in the parade, the reenactors, has been gradually shrinking uh, for the last several years. Whereas the numbers of people turning out for the parade also seem to have been shrinking. But this year, they suddenly bolted up again. Now, is this indicative of a positive trend? Or are we seeing something else going on there? Again, it's too soon to tell. Fair enough. Fair enough. Alan, what do you see as the new interpretive themes emerging from the sesquicentennial? Well, if I, if I can contrast this with uh, the centennial years, the centennial years were pretty much consumed with, with battles and leaders. Uh, over the period, the 50 years that have elapsed, there have been a number of new developments and twists on approaching the Civil War. Uh, certainly one of them is race. I mean, in the centennial years, the big theme was celebrating reunion, celebrating reconciliation. And what that usually meant was the reconciliation of white Southerners with white Northerners. And the role played by black people in the Civil War tended to be pushed way, way to the sidelines, maybe even out past the exits. That has done a 180-degree reverse. Uh, Race has now replaced reunion as the major trope of interpreting the Civil War. And coming in close second and third to it uh, have been gender and the actual operation of memory, how the Civil War gets remembered. Those were three themes completely absent in the 1960s, and now they are right at the forefront of people who are writing and interpreting the sesquicentennial years. I think there are positives and negatives about that. I mean, one positive certainly has been that it's put slavery back at the front rank of our understanding of the Civil War. Slavery is the cause of the war. I mean, in my mind, no question, absolutely unequivocally. If you take slave, if you take the Civil War to its its roots, to its cause, slavery is it, and you can play with that and taffy pull it, gussy it up any way you like. Uh, 
But at the end of the day, it all comes back to slavery. And getting that back in place, as it was not during the centennial years, is a tremendous positive. Now we understand, and there's a broad consensus of understanding, how important slavery was as that cause, how important black soldiers were involved in the Union war effort. Thank you, Alan. Uh, how do you think, let's talk a little bit about the Lincoln Bicentennial in 2009, and you were so very helpful to the JH as uh, we did our special issue on Lincoln at 200. How do you think the Civil War sesquicentennial compares to this closer commemoration, the Lincoln Bicentennial in 2009? Well, I, I think in some ways, Ed, that um, I was almost tempted to offer the Lincoln Bicentennial uh, of, of 2009 as a reason why public disengagement is a good thing. Um, because in a lot of ways, the Lincoln Bicentennial, which did have a high level of public engagement, was was really, and I'm saying this as a Lincoln person, uh, was, was really kind of a wasted moment, uh, despite having a national Lincoln Bicentennial Commission, uh, despite having um, a tremendous, I, I want to say unprecedented scholarly upsurge in work and research on Lincoln in the 1990s, and, and some really strong state involvement in terms of school programs and curricula. Uh, the problem was that the National Commission became a, a political wax nose. Do you think uh, that out of the Lincoln Bicentennial, did it engender some new exciting uh, literature about Lincoln that comes to mind? I, I think, and we sort of joke about this at, at the journal um, every day. Of course, I wander back in the book room, because every day is Christmas at the Journal when review books, you know, arrive by the dozens. And it, it there's lots of Civil War books, which won't not surprise you or anybody else. But Lincoln books are simply a steady stream. It, it never stops. And I'm not sure it ever will. Was there new and really important work in your mind uh, that came out of the, the sesquicentennial, either out and published or in process that you know of? Well, there was, in fact, tremendous amounts of new and really creative work on Abraham Lincoln in the 1990s. Um, the most outstanding examples uh, came from people like Michael Burlingame. Interesting. Thank you. Why do you think Lincoln seems to remain a much livelier topic even than the Civil War? Well, I think in, in many respects, Lincoln is still to this day very much a rack on which a number of interests hang their hats. Sometimes it's political interests, sometimes it's historical interests. Uh, you can go down quite an interesting list of people who want a piece of Abraham Lincoln. And, and sometimes they're not all that scrupulous about carving them up in order to get it. Um, Edward Dirksen once said that Every politician in America wants to get right with Lincoln. Well, I, I think I'd say that Dirksen underestimated that. It's not just every politician. In a sense, Lincoln is, a, is an American touchstone. We measure ourselves by Lincoln. And today, you, you see this very curiously in this extraordinary political ideological polarization about Lincoln. Uh, because you have people on the far right, for instance, 
who condemn and criticize Lincoln. Well, he is the author of big federal government, big spending. He is a tyrant. He tramples on civil liberties. And you hear a great deal of this, uh, usually from voices that I, I can't say I take very seriously, but nevertheless, they're there. But on on the far left, you hear some very similar voices saying, well, he is a, a radical of his day. He's a, uh, a closet admirer of Karl Marx, um, so on and so forth like that. And I, and I have to shake my head because a, a lot of this is very strange. I, I mean, the left has to come to terms with the fact that Abraham Lincoln, wh- whether you like it or not, Abraham Lincoln is very much a 19th century uh, liberal Democrat. He was, in practical terms, he, he was a capitalist tool, uh, and, and he enjoyed it too. But, but the right, politically, also has to come to terms with the fact that, that Lincoln's approach to government uh, was, was neither the demonized figure that they create, uh, but on the other hand, neither was he someone who was uh, uh, a libertarian waiting to happen. He has a much more mainstream way of going at things. That unfortunately means that Lincoln has haters on both the far right and the far left. Uh, The far right, I think, hates Lincoln in order to appease its southern agrarian base. And uh, people on the far left will hate Lincoln because he, he didn't do enough by their reckoning. But plunk in the mainstream of things. People see in Lincoln this embodiment of American aspirations and American themes. And he has been so persistent because those themes have been so persistent. I had to review over the summer an interesting collection of documents uh, by a writer, a historian, a left historian from England. And, And the review gave me the opportunity to speculate a little bit about why Lincoln is fixed on this way. And and I said, you know, this really comes back to that old Werner Sombart question. Why is there no socialism in America? And I said, you know, at the end of the day, it may be that the answer to that question is not as has been given on many, many occasions that there really is no American working class or that there's too much American middle class or so on and so forth. I, I think at the end of the day, maybe the answer to Werner Sombart's question why is there no socialism in America? Maybe Abraham Lincoln, because Lincoln is the embodiment and sets this pattern of 19th century uh, liberal democratic aspiration um, that has proven extremely resistant uh, to, to the blandishments of arguments uh, from the European social democratic model uh, or other models even, even further to the European left. I think that that uh, has made Lincoln a touchstone for American identity that we have not only been coming back to over and over again, but probably will continue to come back to for a very long time. Thank you, Alan. Finally, could you say something uh, to listeners about the Civil War Era Studies Program at Gettysburg College? Oh, I can't stop talking about that. (laughs) Uh, Civil War Era Studies here at Gettysburg College is a minor among the various majors and minors on the campus. It's really the only program of its sort um, in American colleges and universities. And it's available here for our undergraduates who can pick up a minor in Civil War studies while they're majoring actually in almost anything else from you know, theater arts to uh, political science and history. 
And we also have a program within Civil War Studies uh, called the Gettysburg Semester. And this is for students from other colleges and universities who, uh, on the model of a, of a study abroad or study away program, want to come and spend a single semester uh, immersed in just Civil War era studies. We've had this program going since 1998. It was started by Matt Gallman, and it's a wonderful program. Uh, Matt did a tremendous program design, and we have been having a wonderful series of students coming to us uh, year by year from uh, William and Mary, from Dickinson, uh, from colleges, uh, hither and yon. And we just have a great time uh, doing all Civil War all the time. So our motto is Civil War is Us. <laughs> Alan, I, I think you should uh, start a program for old editors of history journals to come back and have an immersion seminar. So please let me know if and when that happens, okay? I'll be working on the grant proposal later today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Alan. We've been talking today with Alan Gelzo, the Henry R. Luce Professor of the Civil War Era and Director of the Civil War Era Studies Program at Gettysburg College as part of the Organization of American Historians' sesquicentennial podcast program on the Civil War era. Alan, thank you so much for doing this. And you're very welcome, Ed, and what a pleasure it was.